electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to teach you, educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Here's the deal. If you believe everything you read about the economy right now, you think we're having a recessionary boom or an expansive retraction. <laughs> Somehow it's both great and horrible. Yet that's why this market seems so schizophrenic. We have so many negatives within a wildly positive framework that we can't process what's going on. Hence how the market could open so horrendously, then rally off its lows, only to pull back again. But the Dow finishing off 35 points, it was much lower at one point, as to be slipping 0.61%, and the Nasdaq losing 1%, also much lower at one point. The sellers seem convinced that the economy is about to get weaker, because after last week's red-hot unemployment number, half a million new jobs, unemployment rate down to 3.4%, the Federal Reserve's got to lower the boom on us, correct? <laughs> Fed Chief Jay Powell speaks tomorrow. If you think he's about to bring the pain, the house of pain. it makes sense to sell ahead of sell, them. Sell, 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 sell. But on the other hand, the buyers... Buy, buy, buy! Well, they scoff at that whole entire logic. They said the Fed chief couldn't cause a recession if he tried. It doesn't seem like he's tried. Given that the hiring is so robust, they simply are not worried about the Fed. They figure the only outcome is a soft landing for the economy, which means it's foolish to sell now since you'll only end up be buying back those same stocks at higher levels. Higher levels in order to get in ahead of the turn in 2024. I fall in the ladder kit in part because the job market is so resilient, but mainly because I have faith in Jay Powell's ability to land the airplane safely despite any near-term turbulence. To be truly rigorous, though, you know what you have to do? You always have to challenge your assumptions, challenge your thesis. And that's something I teach members of the investing club every day, including just last Saturday, always chastising myself when I get it wrong. You can never just say, hey, I don't know. I'm brilliant. They know nothing. So let's lay out the bull case and then the bear and the rebuttal so you really get how difficult it is right now. For instance, first the Fed chief himself. My belief 
My belief is that when Powell tightened too aggressively in late of 2018, taking a very tough game of uh, totally a very tough game of lockstep rate hikes, we have we hate those automatic rate hikes. He learned how important his words are. I'm betting he will not be dogmatic again. The bear rejoinder is simple. Powell screwed it up in 2018, then kept rates too low after the pandemic, totally leaving out that he was late because he was worried about the Omicron variant. Never mind that he's been much faster to tighten than many other central bankers around the world. To the bears, Powell's from the gang that couldn't shoot straight. It, it, that's his school of central banking. In their eyes, he's never gotten it right, and he's going to tighten us right into a huge recession. The bulls respond that wages barely budged last month, so why does it matter? If we can create a half million jobs without much wage inflation, that's a best-of-all-world situation. But the bears think that that's absurd. Since we were only looking for less than 200,000 new hires, anything beyond that could eventually cause businesses to raise wages simply because we have an obvious labor shortage in the country. And then the bulls say, wait a second. Yeah, they're layoffs. We just saw 6,650 people laid off at Dell. I mean, that's 5% of its workforce. We know there's been layoffs at Amazon, once at Alphabet, Meta. And those are just the big ones. How many privately held tech firms had to go under because they couldn't raise any money? But to the bears, that's not meaningful at all because those layoffs are all happening in tech and they aren't big enough to move the needle for the, the whole economy. They say you can't just go by these noisy Silicon Valley layoffs. They're not meaningful. So the bulls respond. Powell's already committed to a couple uh, of quarter point rate hikes. He probably had some insight in the labor report that came out two days later, don't you think? That never was an anomaly anyway, given all the weak data we've gotten lately, all of those weak PMI reports. Things are still deteriorating the economy. Look how oil keeps dropping. Look at the ridiculously low price of natural gas. This is not what an expansion looks like. So just ignore the employment number. The bears aren't buying. They say it's always been right to trust the employment number. Always. And I, you know what? I agree with them on this. You can't ask. You can never asterisk the labor report. And if we keep getting figures like this, we are going to need a lot more rate hikes. That's why long-term interest rates are so much lower than short-term. The bears figure they're signaling the recession to come. The bulls come right back. It's exhausting, pointing out that the world's economy is making a comeback thanks to the reopening of China, which can be the engine of global growth. The Eurozone is getting stronger, and it's obviously the United States remains in good shape. Why not buy, buy, buy? But the bears have the ultimate checkmate. They say if the bulls are right about the rest of the world getting stronger, then commodity inflation, the one kind of inflation that the Fed's already crushed completely, is about to make a comeback. If that happens, things will go completely awry. Higher oil, higher natural gas, higher copper, higher aluminum, and even higher beef and chicken. A nightmare if you're worried about inflation. And that's the Fed number one concern. In the end, I'm not a macro hound. This is not my world, okay? I'm a micro stock picker focused on individual companies. But the way we view earnings from a company is entirely through this macro prism, even if you don't agree with it. Wall Street looks at the world this way. And Wall Street's in charge. Take retail, just to give an example of something we all know. Right now, despite the boom in hiring, where typically it would mean that retailers are terrific, 
The stocks that are acting the best are the dollar stores and the discount outlets. Here I'm thinking about Dollar General, Burlington Stores, TJX, which we own for the charitable trust, precisely for this reason. The worst retail stocks are the full-price department stores, like Nordstrom, which is doing just okay, but got jacked up to $27 by Ryan Cohen, the alleged savior of GameStop, who's trying to shake things up after taking a major position. Well, you know I said sell, sell, sell right into this. And today we got the true colors. The stock plunges more than 8% back to 24. That's because the full price retail simply isn't working, despite the 500,000 jobs created last month, which would typically be great for full price. I know. It's totally counterintuitive. I've never seen anything like this economy in my life. Because as I say, and get rich carefully, the non-farm payroll report is the most reliable statistic. It comes out right now. And right now that number unequivocally supports the notion of a soft landing. You simply can't get a hard landing when you're seeing this much job creation. As for those who think that the January number overstates our growth, that it's somehow an outlier, listen. I've heard that many, I've heard many, many times I've heard that complaint. Yet it's never been true, ever. I'm also not willing to say that a good number is a bad number because somehow it will force J-PAL to raise interest rates like crazy and throw us in recession. I think that's unhinged. Powell said he wants disinflation, and that's what we're going to getting pretty much everywhere outside of wages. And he's making progress with wage inflation, too. If he can beat inflation without carpet bombing the entire economy, I think that's a good thing, and you're going to be a buyer at every single dip, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think he's pulling it off. I'd even go so far as to say that the bond market's wrong. Long-term bond yields are much lower than they should be. Long-term bond yields are lower than short ones, signaling recession, and I think that's simply incorrect. Oh, and don't sniff. The yield curve, as is known, doesn't have a sterling record of predicting anything. So here's the bottom line. Ultimately, you need to have a worldview. My view is pro-PAL. The economy softens without a recession, which is bullish. The soft landing case strengthened, not got weaker on Friday's numbers, period. Bye, bye, bye. End of story. Trey in Texas. Trey. So, Jim, I recently finished Gregory Zuckerman's The Greatest Trade Ever. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I wanted to see if you think it's at all likely that there will be a revision to the story, detailing my unprecedented foresight and allocating my entire portfolio into Target before it became the largest company on Earth. Huh? Target's not that large. It's smaller than Walmart. I think you got to rethink your game plan. I think it, like, even Wikipedia could get you in a little more. Well, I don't want to be too critical, but I wouldn't worry about that one. I think you got that one kind of off base. Let's go to Mark in Massachusetts. Mark. Hey, Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you, Mark? I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, so I'm having a little trouble here, Jim. I've been holding the stock for quite some time now, and um, I know you have too. And I'm just wondering if it's the right play in the EV market or if I should move on to something else. It's been at the same price now, you know, for over a year. For actually five years ago, if we look back, it's at the same. And I'm talking about Ford Automotive. Yeah, you know, Mark, I'm worried, too. And Jim Farley did leave $2 billion on the table. It was really ugly. I've made it very clear that my travel trust will give Ford the boot if they don't do this quarter because Farley says they must do this quarter. I agree with them, and if they don't, then it has to go. I made that point, by the way, in this really terrific investing club meeting this, this uh, Saturday. You can go look at a replay. But I really am putting the feet to the, fl- to the fire. You know, it's time. It's time that Ford got it better. You know it, and I know it. And otherwise, it's time to go. All right, my view is pro-PAL. 
The economy softens without a recession, which is bullish. The soft landing case strengthened, not got weaker on Friday numbers. Columbia Sportsman, by the way, beat on the top and bottom lines last week, but inventory levels remain high. Is that worrisome? Is the stock going to be left out in the cold, or will it be headed up? I got the CEO. Then, is the rally in the S&P going to run out of steam anytime soon? Well, we'll go off the charts to find out. And can the bull market in the ag sector, which you know I like so much, continue in 2023? We're going to go to the largest seed and crop protection company. That's Corteva. We'll speak with the CEO. Man Bunny's back here for the break. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Back in October, I told you that business was turning at Columbia Sportswear. That's the out there apparel and footwear company. You might know them as Sorrel, Prana, Mountain Hardware, or the namesake Columbia brand. After a rough year played by supply chain woes, currency fluctuations, and weak demand from China, things were starting to look up. At the time, Columbia had already run from 65 at its late September lows to 77. But since then, it's continued to work, going all the way to $98 and change at its highs last week. However, in the last few days, the story's gotten a little more complicated. Last Thursday night, Columbia reported, and while the headline numbers were strong, the inventory levels remained high we got to worry about that. Worse, management's four-year earnings forecast came in a little weaker than expected, and that caused the stock to tumble nearly 3% on Friday. It slipped another 2% so today. 
That said, this thing did indeed run from 65 to 98 in a matter of months. So arguably, it was due for a pullback. How concerned should we be? Talk about that inventory number. Let's take a close look with Tim Boyle. He's the chairman and CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Learn more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Boyle, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thank you very much for including me today. Oh, of course. Now, Tim, there are so many new things happening. There's so much in footwear. I happen to be having the uh, new Columbia, it seems very techno, which I like, sneaker, uh, hiking just yesterday with your amazing boots that are light but strong. Uh, What makes you so confident that footwear, particularly Sorel, is going to be the big driver? Well, you know, uh, we make a number of different products, but frankly, the only one that wears out is footwear. And we think there's an opportunity globally to really capitalize on the outdoor activities that people enjoy so much and that was so ingrained with them when they were uh, were outside with their families during the pandemic. And there's just enormous opportunity for us. And we're just now, even at call it eight, nine hundred million dollars worth of sales between the Columbia brand and Sorel, getting to scale where we can be important to to the retail community and to our consumers with footwork. Now, does uh, with Sorel, I mean, obviously, we all know that they're incredibly warm if you want the warmest. Has it mattered that the winter was not really cold at all? Well, you know, so much of our product line is winter-related, be it Sorel or Columbia or, frankly, even Mountain Hardware. It's always better when it's cold. And Europe this year was, was one of the warmest winters ever. But that having been said, we had a good opportunity to clean up. Had it not been for the supply chain impact that really was resonating all, all the way through Q4, we would have had a much bigger year. Uh, but we're in a position with our balance sheet where we can be very uh, surgical, understand how we're going to be liquidating the inventories, and, and we have a lot of evergreen styles that we rely on to, to support the business. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the balance sheet. It's, it's rock solid, no debt. And uh, what I thought was interesting was, boy, you really stepped in and bought a ton of stock. I mean, three million shares, spent a lot of money. That, to me, said that was a, a vote of confidence for yourself more than anything else you can say. Uh, you're that confident, I guess, that, that 2023 is going to be a pretty good year. Yeah, you know, um, we look at these things over a very long period of time. And we, made buy, we make share buybacks when it's appropriate. Uh, on the price of the stock and, and to enable us to, us to be much more profitable. And, and as the largest shareholder, I'm a big proponent of the business long term. And we'll make sure that we have the right balance sheet to, to allow us to, to invest when others can't. Well, that makes me feel more confident about the ballooned inventory number, which I know in the in the both in your call and, and the deck, it was very clear that you said, listen, don't worry about it. We have outlet stores. It's going to be able to come off. Stop thinking about that and start thinking bigger about the future. I think that's a good analysis of the way I should look at inventory. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have these, these chain of outlet stores globally, frankly, and we, we can measure and, and put the inventory out there at the appropriate times. You know, the, uh, the channels that a traditional um, apparel company would use TJ Maxx, Burlington, et cetera, those guys had so much inventory coming at them that it was really going to be impossible for us to have a profitable liquidation strategy with them. And it'll, we have this system that we can use our own stores and be much more profitable. Well, I'm glad. I hate to see it football in the channel. I don't want to see yeah. it at, at TJX. Now, I, you know I can't re- I resist this, and I'm sure you figure it's coming. You talk about demand creation, and one of the major, uh, let's say, pillars of your demand creation is Jalen Hurts from the Philadelphia Eagles. 
And I want to know how that's going. Well, you know, it's been really interesting. We sort of did it was serendipitous that we dealt with Jalen early on in his career, uh, way back in September. And it was just terrific that he's going to be in the Super Bowl and, and we'll be able to, to link that organization uh, to ours. And, and I think it's going to be terrific. With any luck, it's going to be frozen wherever the... Well, actually, it's going to be in Phoenix, so it won't be frozen. But uh, there'll be sunshine. And we make products for sun, too. So we, we think it'll be good. Well, one thing's for certain, you've always been uh, very forward in what you're doing in terms of the Internet, in terms of TikTok, demand creation. Who does that for you? Because it, I think you're just better at it than most companies. Well, thank you. It's, it's a bunch of people. Actually, the best people for TikTok for us are our business in China. And they've done a terrific job there um, selling product on TikTok. And then we use them here. And it's, it's a combination of people. Our team and marketing has really been exceptional. Now, uh, one thing I did want to know, I was shocked uh, to see those Eurozone numbers. They're really extraordinary. See, I'm sorry, the what? Eurozone. Very, very strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, our team there has been focusing not only on the biggest customer we have there, which is Intersport International, which is a, a collection of um, sporting goods operations, mostly small ones, but it's in, in aggregate, it's a big, big business. That plus the specialty e-com stores like Azos, uh, like Zolando and, and others, and the, the teams have been focused on how we can properly market our products in those kinds of environments and, okay. and do well. And so it, the team is to be to be lauded for, and they've just done a great job. Well, those are great numbers. I can't uh, avoid the fact that it looks like the capital behind you and your right shoulder. So uh, what are you doing there? Well, it was interesting. We got invited to uh, to meet with the administration, with uh, with Vice President Harris, to talk about uh, a focus that the administration has on countries in Central America where we're producing goods, and that would be El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And you know, obviously, the the plan is, and the, and the expectation is that with greater investment and production of textile products that people will be less likely to want to move north if they have a job and, and they can sustain their families. So we're a big supporter of that. Uh, it's an area of the world where, frankly, it's there's lots of opportunity for w- with employees and there's lots of opportunity to bring products in with duty advantages so we can be much more competitive in the United States. And we're encouraging the administration to help those countries work outside of the U.S., in Europe, in Asia, to allow the products to be made there and then exported into those countries duty-free. Well, I think that's a great cause. It's uh, right here, and why not help them? And I totally agree. Tim Boyle, President, Chairman, CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Man, my back after the break. Coming up, protect your profits on the road ahead. Go off the charts with Kramer. And start your week off in the know, next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Now that the market's cooling off a bit after a tremendous run, what's the prognosis going forward? We're in a weird moment right now, as I said at the top. We're, we're constantly trying to guess the Federal Reserve's next move, and that means focusing intensely on every single macroeconomic data point. Get a read on the market's next move. Even in the midst of an earnings season where we've gotten some stunningly positive quarters, uh, some negative tonight, we can't stop playing the darn Fed speculation game. But this is an incredibly confusing moment. The Fed's taking short rates already from zero to 4.5 less than a year's time. That's incredible. If history's any guide, those aggressive rate hikes should have been enough to send the economy to a tailspin. Yet we somehow created a half million jobs last month. Remember we saw that last Friday? Bringing the unemployment rate to its lowest level since 1969, 3.4%. We've made progress fighting inflation, but it's really commodity inflation. It's hard to tell if we can maintain that progress given the lack of a major slowdown outside of Silicon Valley. Remember, we're worried about wage inflation now. In short, anyone telling you they fully understand the economy is blowing smoke. We're in an unprecedented moment where the future is hard to predict. requires a lot of guesswork, a lot of subjective analysis. And that's why I sometimes like to just take a more quantitative approach to the stock market as represented by the emotionless technicals. That takes the emotion-driven analysis out of the equation can be very helpful at certain uncertain moments like now. So tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carolyn Baroden, a brilliant technician. Who's tech, tech, she's teaching at IM.Academy SFX. That's the Stocks and Futures Academy. You can also find her on Twitter at Queen of Fibs, one term, because she can give us an empirical read on the market. First, you need to understand where we're coming from here. I want you to take a look at this chart. This is a weekly chart of the S&P 500. Broden thinks it's important to analyze the October lows. You see this? Uh, as, remember, as I see it, October's when the bear market died and the bull market took over. After the super strong dollar and long-term interest rates uh, peaked, it created a much more positive backdrop for the vast bulk of the market. Not the mega caps, not tech, but everything else. And at the time, Broden says there were a bunch of signals that would have let you predict the bottom or at least an important low. She likes to measure past swings in the stock or an index. Then she comes up with key levels by running them through the filter of Fibonacci ratios, which is kind of a mathematical constant. They repeat itself over and over again in nature, small shells, flower petals, pine cones. Somehow these Fibonacci ratios also show up in key moments on Wall Street. Hey, look, don't ask me why. I have no idea. I just know it happens with alarming regularity, and you can bank on it. Look at this. This did indeed call the bottom. That's the confluence of cycles. Let's go further. 
Broden uses this method to spot potentially important prices or important dates where security is likely going to change its course, its direction. When you get a bunch of them clustered together, as we did October 7th, which was the, the bottom, it becomes more and more probable that something big might happen. So you can see the weekend October 7th, right around the bottom, we had a confluence of five Fibonacci uh, time cycles, five key dates where the odds of a reversal were high. Boom. That was the bottom. Of course, it's more of an art than science. Broad likes to look for reversal within a week of these dates, either of the week before or week after. Sure enough, the S&P made its actual low less than a week later. The actual intraday low came the day before. Why bring up all the stuff that happened in October? Because if you know how it worked in the past, you can use the same method to spot potential trend changes in the future. So now, let's check out this weekly chart of the S&P 500 that's more oriented to what's happening right now. Unfortunately, Broden spotted quite a few Fibonacci time cycles coming due this month. We've got six of them this week alone, which makes you think the odds of a bearish reversal are higher than we would like. That's the confluence, okay? Then we have three more timing cycles coming due near the end of the month, in the week ending on the 24th. See the, I'm sorry, we're going to get all of those, and then down here too. Remember, you have this confluence of this date. Broden also says that when you look at the daily chart, you've got similar timing cycles that are forecasting the same thing, which is not a pullback, but a meaningful pullback. Of course, just because we've got all these timing cycles coming due, that doesn't guarantee we're going to get a reversal back down here. But Broden's adamant that we need to prepare ourselves for the possibility that February will not be a good month for the market. She recommends watching for any sell signals so you can ring the register and and protect your profits. Beyond the issue of timing, she also doesn't like what she's seeing on the price front. Remember, Broden uses the same method to find key support or resistance levels. She measures past swings, runs them through the Fibonacci machine, and comes up with the most likely turning points. Right now, she says the S&P is running up against a firm ceiling of resistance. This is where we are, okay? Between 4192 and 4199. I'm sorry, I don't want to make it so you can't see it. Okay, which, by the way, is where we topped out just last Thursday. S&P peaking at 4195 for closing lower. Then there is another ceiling, this time at 4253, with still one more ceiling at four, in the 4300s. She thinks the S&P might struggle to jump through all, which is really, in other words, if you can't get through this, it's not going to be static. While Broden's not telling you to throw in the towel, she's throwing up the yellow caution flag here because as she sees it, there's a good chance the rally could stall out in the near future. In her analysis, time and price are both against us. Now, I know you don't want to hear this, but, but she's actually debating whether she be, should be even more negative. So take a look at the S&P 500 daily chart. Broden has a particular buyer-sell trigger. She likes to look at the five-day exponential moving average and the 13-day exponential moving average. The five-day, remember, is going to be in blue and the 13 days in red. When the shorter-term five-day, again, the blue, uh, exponential moving average goes below the slightly longer-term 13-day, that's your sell signal. When it flips in the other direction, like we saw at the beginning of January, see this? Boom, it flipped. That was the sign that you had to buy. If you bought in the month 
of January. At the very beginning, you're in heaven right now. As you can see, this trigger's done a real good job of keeping you on the right side of the market. Right now, it's still in bull territory, which is really the saving grace, because you know where I feel about this market. I'm bullish. But if that blue line goes below the red line, Broden says you need to get a lot more negative. So we'd have to see a reversal, and this cross through over that. Hasn't happened. Bottom line, the charts interpreted by Carolyn Broden suggest the incredible rally in SP 500 might be running out of steam, if not in the next couple of weeks, then by the end of the month. She's not saying necessarily that you were headed for a brutal near-term decline, but you might want to pull in your horns for the next few weeks. Maybe even trim some of the stocks. We did this for the investing club today. Trimmed a little. I think the current bull market is resilient, but even bull markets will take an occasional breather, and the one that I believe is happening right now could certainly be tested during the month of February. Why don't we take some phone calls? Maybe we get some on this uh, particular topic. Let's go to Justina in Connecticut. Justina. Hi, Jim. I want to ask. Hi, Justina. uh, Hi. I want to ask if now is a good time to invest in Exxon stock based on their record high profit earnings amongst the oil industry. Look, I am thrilled that you asked me about this. You know, we had a challenging period this weekend when we were on. We did our fabulous teaching, our investing club teaching down in Florida. That's where we did our monthly club meeting. And I was adamant that oil is to be bought, not sold, that oil's got a bit of a floor here. And the ones that are being thrown away should be bought. I am going to say absolutely yes to your Exxon call. Buy some, don't buy all. Jeff Marks and I were talking a lot about not buying all at once, but I like your call, Exxon. Now let's go to Wayne in California. Wayne. Oh, Jim, oh my gosh, I love this call. Oh my gosh, Jim, I bought 15,000 shares of Uber. Am I in or no? All right, well, it reports on Feb 8 this week. Uh, I personally feel that you've got, I, look, I'm a big believer that there's Uber and Lyft, and I think Lyft is not doing well. And I think Uber is doing well. It's just that it's just far out in advance that you'll really know it. I think that therefore you're fine, but don't get too aggressive. That's enough because it's just a very complicated thing that's going to be much better for you in the out years, as they call it, than right now. All right, the charts is interpreted by Callum Baroden suggests that the SP rally might be running out of steam and you should pull in your horns, especially if things go negative near the end of the month. All right, much more mad money ahead. I'm sitting down with the CEO of Corteva. Ag, after earnings, uh, you see we have a planning season and the profits might be for 2023. Then balloons might be a big hit at parties, but let me tell you why the Chinese spy balloon leaves little to celebrate on Wall Street. And maybe not as much of a laughing matter as you think. And order calls rapid fire tonight, says the lightning round, so stay with Kramer. Last year, we had a phenomenal bull market in agriculture, thanks in part to Russia's psychotic invasion of Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe, which created shortages all over the world. What about this year? Take Corteva, the maker of genetically modified seeds and crop protection products. Now, here's a stock that rallied 24% last year, despite the hideous backdrop for the market. Not bad, right? Last week, Corteva reported another impressive quarter, earning 16 cents per share, more than triple the five cents that Wall Street was looking for. That was thanks to strong sales, higher margin, great crop protection numbers. At the same time, Corteva's full year forecast came in weaker than anticipated. So the stock actually sold off of that quarter. It's down 4% last Thursday. It keeps going down. So what does it mean for the ag bull market? Is it over or could this be a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Chuck Magro. He is the CEO of Corteva. 
get a better read on the story and the outlook going forward. Mr. Bagel, welcome to Man Money. Thank you. Nice to be here with you. Uh, well, look, Chuck, I got to tell you, your company's amazing. And it's been, to me, the most consistent way to play an ag bull market. But let's go into this issue. Are, is it peaking? Are, are we kind of done with the every year going up? Because when I read all your stuff, I felt weak, for, you know, weak about corn. I started thinking that maybe the ag cycle was, was in its, uh, let's say, last phases. Oh, well, we, we certainly think that uh, the outlook for 2023 is very healthy and quite constructive. L- the bottom line is that the world needs to produce more food. Y- you mentioned the Russia-Ukraine situation. That put a, a really big dent into the food supply and, and really put stress into the, a very fragile food system to begin with. So our, our view in 2022 was a very good year. Uh, we saw a strong demand for our products. And really, uh, when you look at 2023, we think it's more of the same. We actually believe that 2023 will be a very, very strong year for, uh, for seed, for crop protection products. Because look, what we need to see right now is farmers invest in their crops and in their operations. And the only way to do that is to produce more food. Uh, and that's what will really get the supply demand back to where it needs to be so that we don't see quite the same food inflation that we saw uh, in prior years. Right. But that brings me to the question about why the stock keeps going down. I read it the same way you just said it. And therefore, there was no reason to think that there could be a lot of uh, pressure on your earnings. Uh, do you think that the market's reacting incorrectly to what you said? Well, look, last year um, we had double digit sales and earnings growth. Um, we saw lower costs and, and much higher margins across the board. And that was really driven by the strength of the, of the farmer, not only here in the United States, but globally. And farmers were prioritizing uh, investment in, in technology to really drive food production. And looking at 2023, we believe that the same setup um, is possible for the year for 2023. When it comes to the, the, the view of kind of how the stock traded or the weaker outlook, we, we are very constructive on 23. And we believe that the setup is very similar to 2022. But but this is the time of year where there is a little bit more uncertainty. Don't forget that the, the crop isn't even in the ground in the northern hemisphere. So for a company like Corteva, where weather can influence earnings quite a bit, we're always a little bit cautious before that crop gets put in the ground. But the setup is the same, and we think 23 will be a very good year. All right, that's really helpful to me. I understand no sense in saying that everything's going to be great if there's a drought worldwide. I remember when you commented about Argentina and a drought. I hadn't thought about Argentina being a factor. Now, uh, as far as what's the uh, the fulcrum of growth, I think these crop protection numbers are extraordinary. And it seems like the more R&D you put in, the better bang for the buck you get. Is that going to continue? Yes. So we, we did two really important things last year. We took a really hard look at the overall portfolio and the footprint. And to be candid with you, we just simply had too many products in too many countries. So we made some tough decisions to simplify and streamline the overall company portfolio. And in the next two years, we will then exit several of our commodity-based products in, in uh, over 30 countries. But what that's going to allow us to do is to focus our R&D investment on unique and differentiated products and technologies to really give farmers something that is special, something that they really need to drive the production on their farms. 
So our, our plan uh, in conjunction with the portfolio review is to actually increase investment in R&D. So on an annual basis right now, we're spending about $1.2 billion. It's a significant investment for us. And over the next three years, we're going to take that investment to about $1.5 billion and really focus on new technology and make sure that our we, we believe we have an industry-leading pipeline today, but make sure that we have that leadership position for decades to come. All right, just let me share about this. Less commodity, more proprietary, including the biologicals acquisition, which would be almost 100% proprietary, correct? That's right. Yeah, so we, we announced uh, the intent to acquire two biologicals companies last year. We're really excited about entering this space. And biological products have been in the market for some time. They're quite complementary to our more traditional crop chemistry products, but they're growing significantly in prominence. As farmers look for more sustainable, environmentally right. friendly solutions to protect their crops. And when you think about bi biological solutions, we believe that this will be the fastest growing segment of the overall crop protection market. And with these two acquisitions, plus what we already have in the market and what's in our technology pipeline, we'll be one of the industry leaders once we close these acquisitions. Oh, I think that's great. I, that's exactly why I expect a higher multiple next year. Uh, I understand your caution, but I do think that if there's a nice harvest, you're going to be I will, will wish, why didn't we buy Corteva? Chuck Magro, it's terrific to have you on, CEO of Corteva. And congratulations on the big, uh, just how huge year last year. I think another one's coming. Thank you. Thank you. And money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And the light you had is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the light round. Let's start with John in Arizona. John! Booyah, Jim. Thank Booyah. you for taking my call. I love my you pleasure. to my early show. I want to ask you about Champion X, which is heard by Biden's war on oil. I have got to do a profile of these guys because not only do they do oil, they do chemistry. And I think better living is through chemistry, even in the oil patch. Great call by you. Great. Nice level. Let's go to Al in Maine. Al. Professor Kramer, I want to first thank yes. you for your professionalism and your investment advice. My question thank is, you about, very much. is about a diversified steel producer and better recycler steel dynamics. I know that you it is an excellent company. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. Oh, you cut me to the quick. Exactly. I prefer Nucor, but actually Nucor's gotten so high that I think your call may be the right call, at least for now. Let's go to Michael in New York. Michael. Hey, Shalom, Jim. Uh, what's your opinion on Reliance Steel and Aluminum RS? Another great company. Now, this one's never quit. There's never been a, a sufficient pullback for anybody to get in, and it sells at eight times earnings. If people are listening, I don't want you to buy it up here. Let it come in. Not unlike how new cores come in, this one's too close to its high. I need to go to Carol in Connecticut. Carol. Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm thrilled to speak with you. Right back at ya. Okay. So my question is, is it too late to buy new cores? It's a steel bonanza. 
Um, I personally think that Nucor has moved up too much. Leon Tapalli is doing such a great job. I have my eye on 160 to 165, and not before that, because I've got to tell you, this stock is very volatile. And if you pay up for it, I think you may regret it, because it does have giant cycles where it comes back in, and then you got to pounce. I'm not done. Maybe there's another steel company. Should Letter X, could that be it? Pamela in Rhode Island. Pamela. Hey, Jim. It's a pleasure to speak with you tonight. Right back. Uh, I own a stock, C3.ai, Artificial Intelligence. In 2020, this stock was trading at $164 a share, and then it plummeted. True. I bought it at the end of last year for a very good price. I'd like to know your thoughts on this stock, and should I be investing more? Okay. I'm a big fan of Tom Siebel. I've known him for many, many years. However, this stock has run up as part of the almost meme-like interest in AI and artificial intelligence. In fact, its symbol is AI. I think that you have to say, I want... Ring the register. It's a parabolic move. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up... It's no inflated sense of concern. Kramer floats the notion why the balloon is bad for business. Next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. So much in this market's riding on China. The last thing we need is some Chinese spy balloon running amok over the U.S. before being shot down over the Atlantic. Of course, commerce is of secondary concern when we're talking about foreign policy. And obviously, it's no good to let the People's Republic of China send some gigantic balloon the size of three buses on a bizarre reconnaissance mission across our nation. Does it even make sense for them to spy on the world's most powerful country with a hot, high-tech hot air balloon? I know it sounds stupid, but never underestimate the stupidity of foreign relations. During the Cold War, our government tried to assassinate Fidel Castro with an exploding cigar. Hey, China's got idiots, too. But even though it's ridiculous, this balloon's a bigger deal than Wall Street seems to assume. Maybe people here don't remember what happened in 1960 when one of our spy planes got shot down over the Soviet Union. Our government thought the plane couldn't be detected because it was flying at an altitude of 70,000 feet. But a missile brought it down and the pilot got captured just like the Chinese are doing right now. Our government claimed that it was merely a weather balloon. Then it was a weather plane. But in a subsequent trial, uh, the pilot, Gary Powers, admitted the purpose of the plane was espionage, plain and simple. No weather plane. Two years later, he was let go in a prisoner exchange, but it really mattered. Remember, this was two years before the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviets threatened World War III because they were so angry about the spy plane. Us? Well, take a look at this classic post-Cold War American reaction that was featured on SNL Saturday night as the perfect example. The balloon was somehow able to get past our West Coast anti-balloon defense system, the Seattle Space Needle. 
Once it was here, we were able to keep an eye on it with our sophisticated tracking technology of going like this. Understood. I know there were questions about why we didn't shoot it down immediately, but we wanted to wait till it was over the coast so that it wouldn't fall on people or go <laughs> and land on my car. Yeah, the balloon is a joke. Almost the opposite of Russians shooting down a spy plane that hadn't seen much at all, let alone going clear across the Soviet Union, making a spectacle of itself the whole way. Now, China's saber-rattling because of our government's decision. Well, government had the temerity to shoot down an unmanned balloon. Got to protect the proprietary balloon technology. But here's why this matters. China's an authoritarian dictatorship, and dictatorships are inherently unpredictable. What if they retaliate? We're all inured to the Chinese Communist Party making threats. The natural target here isn't us, though. It's our allies in Taiwan, where a huge percentage of our semiconductors get made. Even China's Air Force conducting more flyovers could make us conscious of how much they covet those Taiwan semi-facilities. Or maybe they kick out Nike, which relies on China for so much of its growth. Maybe they hurt American casino operators in Macau by suspending their gambling licenses. Maybe they put a tax on Apple to gut the earnings. Maybe they halt the growth of Starbucks, which is putting up a new store in China every nine hours. Maybe they say none of their airplanes will buy, uh, none of their airplane companies will buy planes from both. They're all going Airbus. With the Chinese government, everything is on the table. When Russia invaded Ukraine, we yawned. Some worried about rising oil prices. That was only temporary, though. Unlike the old Soviet Union, we have close business ties to China. It's the natural place for them to strike back. Unfortunately, Wall Street historically hasn't done a very good job of comprehending or incorporating anything that's on the front page of the New York Times. And I'm not just talking about the business section. The consciousness of the investing class stops at that Saturday Night Live skit. Of course, we're right to ignore many of these world events because usually nothing comes of them. However, when China threatens us, even if it's completely crazy, that they're upset when we're the agreed party, you need to know that they'd much rather retaliate against our businesses than our military. Maybe that whatever they do creates a buying opportunity if, uh, if this ultimately does blow over. These days, the threats are inevitable. I need you to be ready when they happen. Not if, but when. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 